Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. Hi, this is Sandy Hassan, and I'm the Medical Director for the American Academy of Pediatrics Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight. And I'm excited to share today's conversation, which is part of our Clinical Practice Guideline Implementation Series. Throughout this series, you'll be able to hear from pediatricians across the country, many of whom have been instrumental in developing the CPG or who have been out there in practice and working on obesity care and treatment. Our hope is that you can listen to these conversations and be inspired to think about how you might be able to integrate or improve obesity care and treatment within your practice. Stay tuned. So welcome, everybody, to our podcast today, and I'm really delighted to have with us as our discussant today, Dr. Allie Goodman. Allie is a commander in the U.S. Public Health Service. She's an epidemiologist at the CDC in the Division of Nutrition, Physical Activity, and Obesity, and she was the federal liaison to the Clinical Practice Guideline on the Treatment and Evaluation of Obesity Writing Group. So, Allie, I'm just so pleased and so grateful that you, uh, you're spending some time with us today on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So, because you work at the CDC, and I think for many of us, it's a little mysterious what you actually might be doing uh, during the day. Can you just briefly describe some of the things that you do at the CDC? Sure. Thanks, Sandy. Um, I work as a medical epidemiologist, which means that I really work right at the sort of divide uh, or intersection, I should say, of public health and healthcare. Um, I have training both as an epidemiologist and as a board-certified pediatrician, and I work with a wonderful multidisciplinary team of clinicians, epidemiologists, health economists, Um, and others. And our team, um, which is a population health and healthcare team, works on increasing access to evidence-based interventions for um, obesity in the healthcare and uh, community settings and trying to bring those to more children and families. Um, And that means working on uh, research Uh, both research that we fund out in the field and analyses that we do using, for example, electronic health record data. That means what we call public health practice. So um, trying to facilitate the use of evidence-based programs in the field by working with large national partners like the AAP or the National Association of Community Health Centers, for example, and also working through uh, various programs to work with uh, communities that are working on community-wide interventions, let's say through early care and education systems or through healthy food environments. We also get to train uh, fellows and medical students. We also work on national guidelines um, and evidence. We also work on lots of national levers to try to help with things like um, reimbursement. So for example, working on billing and coding and whatnot to try to help you all get things paid for uh, in more constructive ways. So we really work across the gamut, across healthcare and public health, trying to facilitate better evidence-based care for children and families. So, and it's, you know, it's so great to to have you as a partner in in all of our desire to really get obesity prevention and treatment to all of the children and families that that need that so much. And uh, 
uh, and we especially appreciate your work on the guidelines as our liaison and uh, with all the community efforts and not to mention your work on payment, which is crucial to, to really getting the treatment on the ground. Um, I, I wonder how did you get interested in obesity? Was this something that sort of happened to you when you joined the public health service? Did you have a pre-existing interest? How did that happen? I had a pre-existing interest. It really happened during my residency in Boston when I was uh, doing my primary care at Boston Medical Center, where I just was seeing so many patients who were affected by obesity and all of these families coming in and really struggling with issues around nutrition and physical activity and the various social determinants um, of health who are, that are related. And I just felt like one-on-one -on -one when I was working with these families that there had to be something more that I could do that, you know, one-on-one -on -one I could talk with them. I could try to facilitate better care. I could try to link them in with community resources, but couldn't I go upstream somehow and try to make a difference um, in, in sort of bigger picture ways. And when I decided uh, for fellowship to do a fellowship in applied epidemiology at CDC with the epidemic intelligence service, which is a two-year fellowship um, in applied epi, I was really fortunate to um, match uh, in the division of nutrition, physical activity and obesity with a really wonderful mentor in this field, um, Captain Heidi Blank, and uh, and have continued in this field working with her and, and Bill Dietz when he was at CDC um, for almost 13 years now. So, Allie, that's, that's really wonderful. And I, you know, I think if, if caring for children and families with obesity doesn't make you into an advocate, I don't know what will. And mm -hmm. so I think all of us. Uh, myself and all of everybody listening uh, knows that we we all feel that sense of we really want to be there for our individual patients and families, but we really want to participate in the the wider push to really advance treatment and get the treatment barriers removed. So thank you for that. Thank you for all the work that you do. You know, we know that patients and families are often maybe confused by BMI. They may have heard things about BMI in the growth charts. Having both your, maybe your pediatrician hat and your epidemiologist hat on, how do you talk about BMI with families? Sure. I mean, so as a clinician, the practice of annual height, weight, and BMI measurement at well child visits is recommended and is central, right, to clinical mm -hmm. pediatrics. It's key to the management and tracking of growth, um, including overweight and obesity in kids. Mm -hmm. This is bread and butter peds, right? Mm -hmm. um, height, weight, BMI, and their relevant percentiles are important measures that inform things like evaluation of other conditions and medication dosage. So this isn't just mm -hmm. relevant to, you know, overweight, obesity, et cetera. Mm -hmm. it, this is something that we have to do to monitor and make sure that children are growing properly. So tracking BMI provides me and the family with a visual depiction of their child's growth over time, which tells me about their overall wellness, right? Mm -hmm. And we need it for screening, right, for excess weight. So it's, you know, it, it, it's giving us perspective on, on how, you know, lots of different things. So in talking with families, I talk with, I discuss with them that BMI is a valuable measurement it assesses a child's weight in relation to their height. And then the BMI for each percentile compares their BMI to a reference population of US children. 
that's the same age and sex as their child. But I remind them that BMI is just a number and their child is not a number, right? Mm -hmm. Their child is a whole person. So I reassure families that BMI is just one tool in our toolbox for assessing growth. And then we're also going to discuss the context of their child's BMI and percentile related to their child's overall health and wellness during the visit. You know, that's great because we hear over and over from families and, and even when we've done focus groups, that they really want their care to be individualized to their own child. And I think just bringing that out that this is, we're going to talk about your child in, in the context of your family and situation and family history. And, you know, I think it's important. You know, I think we all remember that, but for our families to remember that BMI is not a label. We don't label. It's not a labeling device. It's a, it's a number that reflects one part of their health status. And, you know, for us uh, in obesity, it, it then can trigger a much more comprehensive and holistic evaluation of that child. Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about the technicalities of BMI as it as it's correlated to adipose tissue mass? Because I know you've spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about BMI. Sure. So the higher BMIs are correlated with excess adiposity or excess body fat mass. And the higher the BMI, the better the correlation. So children with obesity or a BMI greater than the 95th percentile for their age and sex, or and especially for children with severe obesity, which we define as a BMI greater than 120% above the 95th percentile, have a very high likelihood of having excess adiposity. For overweight on a population level, BMI greater than the 85th percentile is also associated with an increased risk of having excess adiposity or excess body fatness. But the correlation between BMI and excess adiposity is not quite as close. It's still really good, but not quite as close. So to understand a child with overweight's individual risk, clinical assessment should include those that are recommended by the CPG. And this is why BMI is a screening measure. Right, it, And it's a really good one because we have that tight correlation, especially for kids above the 95th, but also for kids above the 85th between BMI and excess adiposity. But it's just a screening measure, right? So then you have to do this clinical assessment recommended by the CPG that includes observing you know, the BMI trajectory or growth patterns. It includes assessing nutrition and physical activity behaviors, assessing family risk, social determinants of health all of these things that can help inform the need for closer monitoring or intervention. You know, and I think that's really how the CPG uh, writing committee really saw this uh, as, as a, a doorway, a screening kind of doorway into this further comprehensive evaluation. But there, but there have been some concerns or just thoughts about, you know, we have a lot of different populations that we deal with and does the BMI, how does the BMI apply to the variations in body fat percentage among different groups? And how should we be thinking about that or how should at this moment, should we be dealing with that? Sure. BMI as a population health and as a screening measure works well across racial and ethnic groups. 
BMI is correlated with other measures of excess body fatness in all racial and ethnic groups, though the strength of the association between BMI and body fatness does vary among certain racial and ethnic groups. And so this is where, again, it takes a clinician, right, like individualizing a measure to the patient that's right in front of them. BMI is effective at identifying kids and adolescents who could benefit from additional assessment by a healthcare provider, regardless of their race or ethnicity, or other, you know, factors, you know, uh, that might differentiate them in terms of any subpopulation that they belong to. We know that children of all racial and ethnic groups with high BMIs are at risk for serious health conditions um, that are associated with obesity, such as hypertension and type 2 diabetes. But again, BMI is just one screening tool that providers use on the individual level to assess a child's health and well-being. And they have to be interpreted in the context of a child's social, emotional, and physical health, including the results from other risk assessments to understand if their excess weight is unhealthy in their body. So, you know, we, we've all seen uh, criticisms that the BMI uh, is not always correlated directly to health. Um, or may not be a good measure. And I know you've addressed some of this in what your, your previous uh, remarks, but how, if somebody's offered that to you, that, well, it's not directly correlated to health or it may, maybe it's not a good measure, how would you respond to that? There's an abundance of evidence that shows that high BMI in children and adults increases the risk for many health conditions, including hypertension and hyperlipidemia, type 2 diabetes, asthma, obstructive sleep apnea, various joint problems such as osteoarthritis, musculoskeletal discomfort, gallstones, gallbladder disease. Specifically in kids, it's associated with psychological issues such as anxiety and depression, low self-esteem, lower self-reported quality of life, bullying, stigma, and developing obesity as an adult. To use a recent example that's, you know, uh, really relevant, you know, high BMI was very clearly associated with poor outcomes from COVID-19 for both mm -hmm. children and adults. And many studies in populations around the world showed a dose response or a stair-stepping relationship mm -hmm. between BMI and risk for hospitalization, invasive mechanical ventilation, and even death, which is really horrifying. So though BMI is correlated with important health factors, it is just one measure of one mm -hmm. health factor, right? And the mm -hmm. meaning of better health differs depending on the individual patient. So although there is an increased risk for adverse health outcomes, the higher your BMI, this does not mean that everyone with a high BMI will experience adverse health outcomes, nor does it mean that those with a healthy weight will not experience mm -hmm. adverse health outcomes. And I think we have to keep that in perspective when we're talking with patients. Patients can improve their health in various ways at all levels of BMI, right? Better physical health mm -hmm. would mean lower blood pressure, better cholesterol levels, or better endurance when physically active. Improved quality of life could improve self-esteem, ability to be physically active, um, better school attendance or interactions with family and friends. Improved weight could mean weight loss weight maintenance, or even slower weight gain. Like those are huge wins. 
So usually doctors do track some form of body mass index or BMI for kids and adolescents, but that interpretation can and should be individualized in the context of all of these factors. And I think you're so right that really our eye is on the health of the patient, the health and well-being of the patient, and that all of the measures we use are really directed at filling out that full 360-degree look at the patient. And so, you know, I might order lipids or liver enzymes and do a BMI and, and ask about food insecurity and many other things, and all of that goes into that, that assessment of, of health and well-being for the patient. So, you know, and I think to contextualize that is very important. Now, the CDC recently released the new extended growth charts. Can you talk a little bit about how they were created and why you felt the need to, to create them? Sure. So the prevalence of U.S. children with obesity and severe obesity, you know, has increased dramatically from, you know, 5% and 1% in the early 1970s when the original CDC growth charts were created to 19.3% and 6% respectively in 2017 to 18. And currently, you know, we have more than 4.5 million children and adolescents in the U.S. living with severe obesity. So it's, you know, a lot of kids. And the 2000 BMI for age growth charts were based on a reference population from over 40 years ago, from 1963 to 1980, when the prevalence of obesity was much lower. And so the data on very high BMI values among kids were sparse. And because of this, the those growth charts um, had an upper growth curve at the 97th percentile. Above this, the percentiles were extrapolated and they provided no information on actual growth patterns. And this led to practical problems for clinicians using the growth charts for children with BMIs above the 97th percentile. They couldn't be used to track or display BMI percentiles for kids with severe obesity. And in addition, they had a maximum plottable BMI of 37 kilograms per meter squared and had no percentile lines above the 97th. So they were just really challenging to use as a visual growth tracking tool for kids with severe obesity. So over the past decade plus, researchers and clinicians developed a metric and accompanying growth charts called percent of the 95th percentile and developed a definition of severe obesity that um, I mentioned earlier, uh, 120% above the 95th percentile. And this metric allowed clinicians and researchers to track growth above the 97th percentile. And it became widely available you know, over the past decade. And while this metric and the accompanying growth charts are very useful and filled a very important clinical and research gap, they also have some limitations. The concept of percent over the 95th percentile can be kind of challenging to grasp. I know it took me a, a while and I think it can take families mm -hmm. a, a, a while to kind of catch that. And in addition, they're also not based on the data of actual children, but rather a statistical mm -hmm. extrapolation, right? It's just a multiplication mm -hmm. of the 95th percentile. So in response to this, CDC went through a, a long process of gathering experts mm -hmm. from around the world and trying to figure out what to do. And we developed the new 2022 extended BMI for age growth charts. And these are based on an updated reference population with data on real children from the US 
uh, with BMIs at or above the 95th percentile from the years 1988 through 2016. So we also updated the underlying statistical methods, including new extended Z-scores for BMI, and it resulted in these new extended growth charts having four additional percentile curves above the 95th percentile. So they now have the 98th, 99th, 99.9 and 99.99th percentiles. I know it sounds crazy, but they're really, really helpful to have. And they can plot BMIs of up to 60. And they're also shaded in color to help with patient and family visualization of the different growth curves. So I know that was a long story, but hopefully it's a complete one to explain what we did and why. So I think one of the things that I, I like about them the best is that you can actually now track uh, yes. BMI along the curves. And so for me, the growth curve and uh, the BMI curves have always given me a picture of the course of the patient's uh, obesity. And sometimes you see inflection points where maybe something has changed in the family or something's happened. You By tracking the curve, you can see where treatment may have been effective. So I think that the ability to just not have that flat line at the top of the curve, but be actually to track the BMI curve is is really valuable. When you're explaining this to families, uh, Allie, what what are you what words are you using to show them these extended curves? Yeah. So the nice thing about these is that you know it's just more percentiles, right? So we don't have to flip metrics anymore. We don't have to use Z scores. We don't have to you know use any. So. I'm just continuing to express them as percentiles. That's what's on the chart. And just showing, you know, this is where, you know, this is where we are up on these extended, you know, growth charts. It's really seamless to transition from the 2000 to the 2022 extended BMI charts. And usually with families, you know, if we're, if I'm moving to the extended BMI for age growth charts, we've been discussing, you know, that we've got a, you know, a higher BMI. And so just saying, okay, well, now we've moved up, we're going to flip to this chart and it's going to help us to track mm -hmm. and see what's going on up here. And so uh, the newly added, you know, curves just accurately then reflect patterns among real children for those very high BMI values and just allow for a continuous measure of growth to inform clinical care. You know, we have these new growth charts and many people are, you know, have have put the older growth charts into their EHRs. Is there any special process or how can these new charts be put into to our, our EHRs? So they can be added to EHR uh, as for children with BMIs above the 97th. We fully recognize that a lot of clinical guidance is still based on percent of the 95th and, and many will want to have those growth charts as well. We have provided the computer programs and data tables and instructions on our website uh, to facilitate with EHR integration. And we've reached out to many vendors, EHR vendors to provide them with that information with the hopes that there will be um, broad uptake. But if your EHR vendor is looking for that information, it is available on our website to make it available. And I believe that AAP is also working on a fire app yep. um, to help make uh, those growth charts available as well. You're, you're right, Allie. We have a fire app that really incorporates the whole 
clinical practice guideline pathway, which includes those charts. So um, I'm hoping that uh, people can avail themselves of that or the information at the CDC to, to really get these charts into their practice. So as we, we close out our time, Ellie, is there anything that you, you, you know, we have a, an audience of people right on the front lines of taking care of our children and families with obesity. Anything, anything you'd like to leave our audience with as we close out? Thanks, Sandy. I think that I just want to reiterate that a child's BMI is a valuable screening tool, but it is just one piece of the puzzle to assess whether a child's weight in relation to their height is an issue. In kids with excess weight, a comprehensive evaluation is needed to understand, you know, what individual risk factors for chronic disease are present. And with individuals, healthcare providers should consider BMI, along with other factors such as family history or obesity-related health conditions, genetics, nutrition, physical activity, and sleep routines. And the other thing I want to mention is that children and families living with obesity can face tremendous weight stigma and bullying, which can negatively impact their mental and physical health or well-being. And we always in healthcare need to keep this in mind. And so the use of, um, you know, sort of kindness first, right, uh, person first language, placing the individual before the mental condition or the disease is so critically important as is focusing on overall health and wellness rather than the child's BMI, which is just one number. Supportive weight communication is critically important for helping children and families rather than potentially doing harm. So in this era where we have this clinical practice guideline, we have evidence as to how we can help children and families. I just hope that we can move forward positively together with the tools that we have to do good. Ellie, so well said, and thank you again for spending your time with us today, and we so appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to my conversation today with Dr. Allie Goodman. I hope that you were able to take away some practical strategies on how to move obesity care and treatment forward in your practice. As a reminder, there are many resources to support your capacity building and CPG implementation efforts which you can find on our website, www.ap.org slash obesitycpg. resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.